Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 86. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Podcast. This is episode 86. I'm your host, Tim Smith, and I am here with Christopher Russell, although not really here because we're in two separate locations recording this via the magic of the internet. How are you today, Christopher? I'm, I'm doing absolutely great. How about yourself? I'm doing great as well. Uh, better than I have any right to be. So it's, yeah, we, uh, it's a whole new world out there in podcast land these days. Um, we recorded episode 85, didn't really talk about it, but the world seems to be a bit changed as a result of the coronavirus. I know that we are here in New Hampshire, like we've been under social distancing, which is basically self-imposed quarantine. So I've been kind of hanging around home with my wife and kids. And uh, w- what's the story in Vermont where you are? Uh, sort of the same. Um, yeah, yeah, hanging out with the uh, hanging out with my partner and our cats and our dog. And uh, you know, we're lucky enough to live pretty rurally, so um, still plenty to do out around the property, but. You know, it's still pretty. It's in lockdown most of the most in most of the area, and it's, it's sort of strange to drive through downtown Brattleboro because there's just nothing. All the shops are closed, and yeah, everybody's it's like, in a it's like we're in network. some uh, post-apocalyptic zombie movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, like you, I'm super fortunate to be on the side of a beautiful lake. The ice went out last week, you know, so I can go paddling. I've got a hundred miles of trails right here that I don't have to get in a car to access. So yeah, I, I my, and you know, my heart goes out to those people stuck in the cities. Uh, my brother lives in the Canary Islands. He and his family um, moved there for about. I think five years, his uh, his wife got a job working in Africa, and their offices are in the Canary Islands off the coast of Africa. But I talked to him yesterday, and they are they live in a tiny apartment literally right on the beach. So they are not allowed out except to get groceries. And I think he said it's going on five weeks. So, yeah, really, really feel for him. He said it's starting to get hard, you know. I think when this whole thing started, it was like, oh, I, you know, sort of a forced – stay-at-home vacation but uh you know the longer it goes on the, the harder it is mm-hmm. um yeah so sure. we've been impacted at the jack mountain bushcraft school by this we ended up canceling um our programs folk school programs that we had in march um right when this thing was really kicking off and we've postponed the start of our spring semester we pushed it back three weeks so if we hadn't done that uh we're recording this on a saturday 
um, you know, we would have been at the field school already in order to have people arrive tomorrow. So, yeah. uh, you know, it bought us a little bit of a reprieve. And it also impacted us in that we had international students planning to attend this spring semester. We had a student coming from Singapore and a student coming from Austria. So neither one of them will be able to attend. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think none of these things have ever really impacted me directly before, but so this is the first time. And I think a lot of people maybe feel that way what about this one. Yeah, it's, it's really, it is very strange. My, I, my younger brother lives in New York city. Um, and he, yeah, he's, he's, you know, sort of right at the hub of everything that's going on. And it sounds, yeah, I can't imagine you know, like you said, we're really lucky to be in a place where the day-to-day isn't affected so much. Um, yeah, and it is, but it is a strange thing to have the sort of our yearly plans of, you know, like you said, we'd probably be driving up right now or yesterday up to the field school, and instead we're sitting in our respective homes recording a podcast. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's a, it's a little strange. The rhythm's <laughs> off. <laughs> the rhythm is off. That's a really uh, apt way to to put it. Um, so, yeah, just very interesting times. Uh, as you're listening to this and you've been thinking about attending one of our semester programs, as a result of the coronavirus, we have uh, definitely one spot, maybe two spots open for the spring semester, tentatively starting in three weeks. So if you are furloughed or, you know, don't have a job to go back to, maybe this is a good time. So get in touch about that. But the point of this podcast isn't to give you the hard sell on the semester. We've got a bunch of things to talk about. So as a result of having all this extra time, um, we've put a bunch of effort and energy into bushcraftschool.com, our online community. So, um, one of the things that we've been doing, we've been threatening for a long time, but we finally have our online distance learning courses up and running. Currently, I'm running uh, the weather course, which is the same 30-day weather course that we run during our semesters, and it's free online. Um, in a couple of days, we're going to start our online uh, cooking course. So that'll be a video-based course for geared towards people coming to the field school, you know, how to be self-reliant in your cooking. But there are always a f- maybe a few interesting tidbits in there if you are not coming to the field school. So it might be interesting there as well, as well as a household handcrafts course where we make little things out of stuff that's laying around the house. Obviously, people have a hard time sourcing a lot of materials these days. Um, But, you know, I think a lot of people are just looking for a distraction, something to fill the time. And that's, you know, one of our goals with doing this is to provide that distraction. And you're you're running one as well, correct, Christopher? Yeah, we're running a uh, the first in a series of sort of youth track online courses. And these are for for now are all centered around um, nature studies, which I think is sort of the the basis for the School of Forest is doing homeschool online courses and the nature studies are going to the base of them because once you've got a base of the, right now we're doing a field botany course and then it'll be animals such as mammals and fish and uh, birds. And as that, once that groundwork is there, then you can start incorporating the stuff you've learned from those nature studies into, like you said, handcraft. Maybe you research that a particular type of, wood or bark is really good for cordage and then you take our program on how to make cordage and you know that you can go and harvest some of that and 
um, yeah, I think I think it'll be a lot of fun to start building on that stuff. Yeah. So the I mean the long term goal is to have um, essentially an online university where people can study these things in great depth and then complement those studies with time spent in the field with us. Uh, exactly. So the the you know I don't think that hands on bushcraft will ever be a hundred percent online learning. I just don't think it's that viable uh, because so much of it is muscle memory, so much of it is nuance. Uh, but I do think that they complement each other very well in that you don't maybe have to drive to Masardis, Maine to learn something about the weather. So our goal with this coming semester is to have the students coming on the semester start and maybe even complete their weather study curriculum before they arrive at the field school, similar to the cooking course. So the end result will be that when people arrive for a field school course or a remote expedition, they've already had a significant amount of training. So that's, you know, what we're what we're working towards. Yeah, the hardest thing in the semesters is that, you know, the first week or so you're sort of getting everybody settled and, um, you know, used to living at the field school. But if they show up with a little bit of um, understanding about what that actually looks like on a day-to-day basis from, you know, taking the online cooking course or something similar to that, then that gives us a really good jump start on going deeper on the stuff that's really interesting rather than having to devote time to sort of getting people comfortable. Right. Hit the ground running, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Nine so, weeks seems like a long time, but when you're in it day-to-day, uh, there's just so much we can get into if we have the time. Yeah. So, so far, so good on that. But yeah, please feel free to join us there at bushcraftschool.com. Lots going on there. Lots of camaraderie. We even started our first uh, virtual office hours we had the other day where uh, online meeting software. So it's like real time live video. So a great way to get questions answered, things like that. And, you know, we start out with the new technologies trying them out for something like that. And then who knows, maybe in a week or two, we've got a live classroom session going on. Uh, So lots of interesting things happening on that front. Definitely. A a couple of other topics I wanted to talk about today. Um, Number one is the canoe certifications that we offer at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. So in the past, they have been roped into being part of our journeyman certification. In 2020, we are separating the canoe certs out from the journeyman cert, and they will be standalone canoe certifications. And we've got two levels of them. So... First of all, the reason why we're separating those out is because I've been burned by the big national uh, certification granting outfits uh, several times over the years. And what I mean by that is that we've had people come on programs, come on remote expeditions that, you know, had lots of certifications, but were really not qualified to be on a remote expedition in the type of water we were in. You know, so the the end result of that was that I you know, no longer trust those like ACA certs or anything. I'm not sure why, if it was a result of social promotion, if someone was just a, a good person and they allowed them to get through and, you know, they paid their money and at the end of the week they got their piece of paper that said they were qualified. But, 
you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So I've been fooled more than twice by those. And as a result, they're pretty meaningless to me now with regards to canoeing. So as a result, we are separating out our canoe curriculum. It'll be in two levels and that'll be available in our semester courses. And it will also be available on our two-week uh, summer 2020 Riverman course where we will be canoeing the Allagash Wilderness Waterway. You know, you don't have to go through the testing process at the end. You can just do the course. But for those people who are interested and motivated and want to take the certification option, there should be plenty of time to practice all the skills that you'll be taught on the trip. And then you can do the testing uh, protocols at the end of the trip. So we're excited about that. We're excited um, because I think a lot of the stuff that we do in canoes isn't represented well in the national organizations. I mean, I spent the first 15 years of my career as a, as a registered main guide. And every time I would pull a canoe or paddle standing up, someone would yell at me to, Hey, don't you know, you shouldn't stand up in a canoe. Uh, and that would just make me angry. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, everybody discovered stand-up paddleboarding. And now, you know, they're sort of like, look what we invented. <laughs> so the if you're interested in the traditional ways of the canoe in the north, and those include expedition paddling, poling, and lining, as well as a bunch of ancillary skills that go along and complement those super well, then you might be interested in the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School canoe certs. Uh, so we've got that going, which is nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool skill set to have. Um, you know, I even experienced it down here where, um, you know, I have a big eighteen foot boat and I take it out on some of the little creeks and rivers that are around here, and it's um, a thing that people aren't familiar with. And so, if you want to uh, impress your friends and loved ones, uh, learn how to pull a canoe because you will, you will get lots of questions about it. And it's a, it's a, just a cool way to move through the water that I think is, um, not super well known and is maybe even slowly starting to die out. And that's a shame because it, it's a level of control. Um, once you know how to pull a canoe and stand up that other, other methods of moving a canoe just can't provide for you. Yeah, and, you know, spring flood right now, good luck trying to paddle upstream, but you could still make it upstream with a pole. So if you're doing any big expeditions, a pole is, is just a fantastic skill set to have. Uh, and you can read more about it. We don't have a whole lot online yet about the canoe certs. Um, you know, we've been including them as part of our general certification program for quite some time but we had a lot of interest in people doing the certification option during the riverman allagash trip this summer so we're separating them out officially and we should have documentation up on the web before too long um moving on the next topic we wanted to talk about today is from a blog post that i wrote uh, a week ago which was the result of a podcast that christopher told me about and we both listened to and then we discussed for a bit and uh, essentially from the from the um, blog post th the phrase is called the YouTube effect and it's about how data shows that watching experts do something makes us overconfident but it does not make us more skilled so uh, you know big blog post we'll link to it in the show notes but just the idea that Everybody seems to be an expert in this day and age. Everybody's seen 
you know, experts on TV do things. They've seen people on YouTube maybe struggled through doing things or maybe through the magic of the editing room and wacky Hollywood lighting, fake that they know how to do things. Uh, but the result of watching all those people, the data shows very clearly that it doesn't make us better at doing them. It, what, it, what it does do is make us grossly overconfident in our ability to to do those things. And the it's based on the research of Ed O'Brien and his research is titled easier seen than done. Merely watching others perform can foster an illusion of skill acquisition. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on this, Christopher? Well, so the, the, I think the part that stuck out the most to me about the podcast and about the study <clears throat> is that um, they were talking about uh getting people to watch a bunch of videos of someone moonwalking and then try to moonwalk themselves. And it's something that we see a lot when students um, come on our programs is that there's often a sense of being able to do a thing because you've seen it a lot. And then once you start doing it, and this is exactly what they talked about with uh, the people that were trying to moonwalk, is that what happens is, is that you just, as you're doing it, you realize how difficult it is. And you, um, you know, they mentioned these people standing up and doing moonwalking walking for judges and as they were doing it in real time talking about how difficult it actually was even though they went in with a huge level of confidence um and i think i think that's super super fascinating to think about um because what you're also seeing on the other side of it is that now there is a uh because not only are is everyone an expert everyone also wants to teach and um, even if you are really good at something, it doesn't make you a good educator. So you can, to me, it, it makes even less sense if you think you're really good at something and aren't, and then try to be an educator. The the, the level of understanding of whatever you're trying to teach is just going to uh, continue to drop and drop and drop at, as as you are passing on information that might not be correct. And I think that that's the interesting side of, of the YouTube effect to me is how many experts are out there and how many of those experts are trying to pass on um, incorrect information and how easily stuff becomes sort of muddled of what is what is correct and what isn't. Um, yeah, yeah, that was sort of my thoughts on it. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm not sure when being an instructor was analogous to being an expert. You know, I guess maybe yeah. there's not a whole lot of things you can do with a skill set in something like you know, in something like bushcraft, it's not like there's a bushcraft factory where you can go and get a 40-hour week job at or anything like that. So, you know, as a way to sort of monetize hobbies, people will often become instructors. You know, like, you know, we joke about at the field school. These days, everybody's an instructor and everybody's a guide and everybody's an expert. So the, <laughs> yeah, so there's the YouTube effect, right? Um you know, be always beware the overnight expert, the overnight instructor uh, that for me, I'm not saying that everybody on YouTube is suspect, uh, but no. I, having been been at this for a couple of decades and having, you know, a lot of experience in the field, for me, I'm always uh, questioning when someone's entire reputation is based on their YouTube videos. You know, there's there's no sort of corroborating experience offline there's no expeditions there's nobody that i know in the industry that says oh yeah i know that guy he's 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 checked out or something like that if it's you know if it's all just youtube uh there's there's always the possibility that it's smoke and mirrors and you know i've got it a is. lot of experience working on reality survival television shows and i can tell you that you know a lot of that is smoke and mirrors 
Yeah, it, uh, the, the sort of the interesting part to me is that there's a uh, YouTube, you know, when it or YouTube or any of the social media, I don't want to pick on YouTube in particular, but it also often is seen as sort of a, uh, a community building thing. But to me, like you mentioned, is that, you know, if you don't hear good things from other people in the community, um, then you don't really have a good like real world way to, um, to gauge people's skill levels. But if, uh, yeah, if all, if the community is based entirely online and everybody is presenting, um, sort of their best foot forward all the time, then with the, with the best lighting and perfectly coiffed exactly, hair and yeah, exactly. Um, and if, and so if that's what the reputation is based on, then, you know, we, you continue to run into that thing where someone seems really checked out and then comes on a remote trip with, with you or is, you know, brought up, you, you know, you help bring them on as a guest instructor and stuff like that. And it, just doesn't pan out and that's that's a hard balance to find i don't like you said i don't i don't want to just rag on social media because it does bring a lot of interest to the, the thing i just don't think it brings a lot of expertise not in a real world kind of way yes um, that's that's, that's a good point so one interesting thing um a discussion that i had with an alumnus who is uh getting a phd in some sort of psychological science-based uh, discipline. We had a discussion regarding the YouTube effect um, because one of my old friends that I played college hockey with has a sports psychology business and they do a lot of, um, you know, creative visualization. And there are, there's data that shows that, hey, this stuff works. So the disconnect between the two, between like watching experts do things versus, you know, visualizing and improving your own game. The difference is having some sort of practical experience. So in the, in the um, research they talked, one of the studies they cited was they were talking about juggling bowling pins. And so somebody who just watched uh, somebody juggle bowling pins over and over and over is going to have this big uh, overconfident approach to their own ability to juggle bowling pins. But the research found that when they were handed bowling pins while they were watching the videos and they had to try juggling on their own, all of a sudden that brought them back to reality. So my takeaway from this is that you can't just watch. You have to get out and actually do. So the interesting point that I'm kind of taking a roundabout way to accessing here is as we are now in the business of designing distance learning and online video courses, how do we do that effectively? So this research and the YouTube effect has a huge impact on that. That if, if so, if we're to design an online video course and it's just online video and we're, there's no practical uh, requirement. People don't have to, to demonstrate them doing the skill. Um, it's destined based on this research for failure. It's destined for people to be overconfident and underskilled. But if they, if we, um, go ahead. So, and I, what I would add to that is it's not just destined for failure from the students parts. It's best. It, it, we fail as well. If we keep it to just that, because if the point of us as instructors is to pass on this information and we just do video and put it up and expect people to learn, we, we are failing as well. I think that's an important point to make. Um, yeah, as instructors, you want to make sure that they're learning as much as they can. And if you just just put up video and hope for the best, you're not you're not you're doing a disservice 
to yourself and to the people you're educating, I think. Definitely. You know, the special sauce at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School for over two decades has been, let's go physically do this thing that we're talking about. So it's not just a lecture. It's not just a demonstration. You know, on short courses, if you're doing a day or a two-day course, there's a lot of show and tell. But on the longer programs that we run, um, we try to actually minimize the show and tell. Like, let's get people doing it. Let's get hands dirty. Let's, you know, if it's canoeing, let's get on the water. If it's bow drills, let's be spinning the drill, you know, all those things. So that's the, and, and I think that's why we've had very successful educational outcomes over the years. So it's always interesting to read um, studies where people have done research that's sort of, I mean, it's always nice when it supports what you've been doing for a long time, but it's also super those are the only what, What's that? It doesn't back up what, those are the only reports I read. If it doesn't back up what I already think, I'm not interested in it. I, I have the same bias. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but the point is to take studies, to take, uh, science into effect when you're designing courses, you know, that's what professional educators do. A bad YouTube instructor would just be, I'm going to show you how to do this and show you how to do that. And as we had on previous podcasts, um, that's information. That's not education. And the difference is when everybody has, uh, everybody's invested in it. So it's not just passively taking in media. Yeah. Agreed. A hundred percent. Anyway, that's what we uh, have been talking about lately, that YouTube effect. So remember if you're designing online learning, or even if you're teaching in person, it's not enough just to do demonstrations and show and tell. You've got to get the students hands busy and dirty. Do those things. After you get your hands busy and dirty, then more demonstrations down the road can be super helpful because they have that practical, you've built that practical scaffolding in their brain that you can then fill in with bits of information. So from my personal uh, example, you know, I like to, I love to watch people who are really good at something do things. It's, it's super enjoyable to me, especially if it's something that I know how to do. So for example, if I watch somebody who's super skilled make a bodril fire, somebody who's got a couple thousand of them under their belt, I watch and the very minute finest points of technique are what jump out at me. Like, hey, look at what this person does differently than I do. Why is that? And then maybe that helps me to improve some very tiny, minute part of when I do that skill. So, so that's where I think once you have an experience level and a skill set, then watching super talented experts do those things, you can gain a lot of crucial insights from that. But until you have that that experience experiential background you know it's almost i don't want to say wasted but you're not going to get much out of it yeah agreed 100 percent. anyway i don't really have a whole lot else uh do you have any other current events uh no not current events um nope not really just uh waiting for the semester to get started and prepping for that yeah and again if you're interested in jumping on board i we have Definitely one, maybe two spots open for the spring 2020 wilderness guide training semester, which is new in 2020. It's just a slight variation on our longest running program, the wilderness bushcraft semester. It's still the same curriculum. Um, the difference is that we're going to spend more time on the rivers. We're going to hopefully paddle 300 miles, do all the major river systems in Northern Maine, the Allagash, the St. John and the Aroostook. And, uh, 
you know, dedicated time that we're going to spend out on the trail. But the curriculum is the same. We're going to cover the same stuff as we do in the fall wilderness bushcraft semester. So again, yeah, if you're interested, jump on board, get in touch with us. Again, here's another invitation to jump onto bushcraftschool.com. Visit us there. That's sort of where we interact with the world. So if you've got like questions, comments, things about this podcast or any of our videos or other media, uh, that's the best place to put them. Um, so again, we reached the end of another episode. So if you have enjoyed this podcast, if you found it to be useful and valuable, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Christopher, thanks for thanks for joining me today. And uh, you guys should get out there in the show notes. I'll put a link to Christopher's new podcast. If you didn't listen to episode 85, tell, give us the give us the one minute overview on your podcast. Yeah, so the new podcast is just a uh... The idea is that I will have people who are experts on things that are peripherally, peripherally related to the bushcrafty stuff. So biologists, people working in, uh, you know, with sustainable farming, that kind of thing. And awesome. Talk about what they're doing. Awesome. Um, well, thank yeah. you very much for listening. Hope you have a great day, and we'll hit you back later with another one soon. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.